Three Dog Thursday on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows is presented by WinBet. Get started today and you'll get a risk-free bet up to $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. We're also brought to you in part by Coors Light. When you're sweating out your bets, remember to take some time to chill and grab the perfect cold refreshment, Coors Light. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close? If not, pull the outright upset. Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reeves. Yes, indeed. A brand new month. Flip the calendar and we are still here. I'm like channeling my Tom Brady from Champa Bay, although Brady always said it in New England better with the we're still here to the Patriot fans. We are still here on the only digital radio show that loves to focus, loves to delve into, loves to think about and talk about those underdogs, the teams that are given less of a chance to win, not thought as highly of. We love the underdogs and we're still churning, whether we're talking NBA playoffs, whether we're talking Stanley Cup playoffs. How about my underdog Champa Bay Lightning going to Carolina in Raleigh and winning not only game one, but also game two on the road. So they come back home on Three Dog Thursday to play game three of their series. Hockey playoffs going on everywhere. NBA going on everywhere. We've got some boxing to get to. We've got all kinds of things to discuss, and we're glad that you found us. And however you found us through a social media link, through the Sports Gambling Podcast, their network feed of shows, sportsgamblingpodcast.com, et cetera, make sure you subscribe. And this podcast comes out on Thursdays, Thursdays in the morning, comes to you. We're ready to go on Three Dog Thursday if you are subscribed via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe. It comes automatically to you. That's the easiest way to get Three Dog Thursday. All right, so much to discuss. Brian Edwards, senior handicapper, majorwager.com, Vegas insider. He's rolling again with the NBA picks. Lots of NBA playoff talk is coming up right now in just a moment. In the middle segment, we'll talk a little more about the NBA and some of the controversy around the ladies' tennis champion, Naomi Osaka, uh, who has withdrawn from the French Open And the larger picture about mental health, dealing with the media, dealing with negativity and how it affects not only tennis, but all of sports. I'm going to do that with my guests, Matt Zimmick, who does a fantastic job writing and talking tennis worldwide. Uh, we, We use Matt for a lot of different reasons. He'll be on with great insight into Osaka and what's going on. And some more NBA playoff talk, too, in the middle segment as well. Deshaun Tate will be here from Tate's Take, the Hoops podcast. Deshaun based out of Atlanta, where the Hawks are looking to put away the New York Knicks and advance on in the NBA playoffs. So we got big doings to talk about with both of those guys in the middle segment. And then Brian Edwards back with some more stuff for the weekend in our final segment of the podcast. All right. Speaking of Brian Edwards, let's don't delay any further. The man continues to roll on. And we talk some NBA playoffs and much more with Vegas Insider and senior handicapper, MajorWager.com. Brian Edwards now back aboard on Three Dog Thursday. It is a new month, and the playoffs continue to crank along, and you're continuing to do well with the NBA picks. How are you? I'm well. I'm uh, on a nine-in-one run since Friday. And, uh, yeah, uh, Memphis and Utah overs have been treating me right. 4-0 for the series. I wasn't on all four. Uh, I've been on the last three, though. So that's good on that. And, again, we're going to disclaim in this way that Brian and I are putting this show together in advance of Thursday. So we don't have the Wednesday results. It's one of the hardships when we're trying to put all of this together uh, that we don't have the Wednesday results to go on. So again, you're listening and you know, if you are a fan of the NBA, what has happened on Wednesday night? Did the Sixers move on with the Wizards where they're leading three to one? Did the Knicks bow their back against Brian's Hawks and force a game six back in Atlanta uh, for this weekend or not? Uh, did the Jazz go ahead, go ahead and put the Grizzlies away after the two wins in Memphis and a 3-1 lead on Wednesday night? We definitely know, Brian, that for Wednesday, the Clippers 
Mavericks series cannot end because the winner will only be up three games to two and we get a Friday night Clippers Mavericks game uh, for sure. But we don't know those uh, results right now. So that's the one disclaimer. We'll kind of talk in and around that coming up. I want to back up, though, to Tuesday night and your thoughts on what we saw uh, in Tuesday evening's action, including a couple of series um, that have really turned in the ending of one. Uh, you you said to us last week you didn't believe the Nets Celtics would go beyond five games. You called it. The Nets finished off the Celtics in Brooklyn behind 34 from James Harden. Uh, just give me a thought on that, and then we've got news about the Celtics at the time that we're putting uh, Three Dog Thursday together. But first of all, the Nets put them away and move on to play uh, in the next round of the playoffs. Yep, they uh, <clears throat> avoided the backdoor cover. The Celtics were threatening and covered as 12-and-a-half-point favorites, and now they uh, – they play Milwaukee uh, in round one and or I'm round two, excuse me. And there are four and a half point home favorites in Saturday's uh, series opener uh, total 239 and a half. And we find out this morning or Wednesday morning that Boston's uh, Danny Ainge is uh, stepping down as president of basketball ops. And Brad Stevens is shockingly stepping down as head coach, but moving to the front office Um at the age of 44. So I don't really know. I, I don't know if the bubble and then this, you know, the bubble and the season going long and they were in the East finals last year. And, and then this season's got him burned out, but uh, I don't expect Brad Stevens to stay off the sidelines very long. Um, and a little surprising that he would get the front office job and it will apparently lead the coaching search um, kind of a, a head scratcher there. Uh, as have a lot of things been in Boston the last couple of years is they go from a, a team with a great young run, young roster. And, you know, they, they, they lose Horford, um, you know, they get rid of Terry Rozier, which was understandable uh, considering they had Kyrie, but then Kyrie's gone, which is fine. He's a headache, but uh, they lose Gordon Hayward and that roster that just looked loaded for years to come has slowly dwindled. Well, and they have, uh, uh, you know, two things. Number one, Danny Ainge has been there going on close to 20 years in the front office. That's hard to believe that he's been in and around and associated uh, with the Celtics for that long and assembling uh, the roster. And they have a lot of leverage with draft picks and with other things. Um, the, the one observation that I had is that is that Brad Stevens obviously really, really did not want the Indiana college coaching job and the Hoosiers to go back to that state if – if he is leaving coaching to coach the Boston Celtics to be in the Celtics front office and not coach, then there was no lure whatsoever to go coach at Indiana. It's not just about not being the coach of the Celtics anymore. So I'm with you. He's young enough. Maybe he is burned out temporarily here. He'll recharge, kind of retool in the front office. I know there is some controversy and some blowback already. Did the Celtics go through the proper process and procedures on on uh, hiring practices involving minorities and others and interviewed or whatever but stevens came out of out of butler and has really acquitted himself well not to the championship level as an oh, nba he's... coach and i think that they're probably looking at it as let him recharge and he might step back in the coaching role in two or three years if need be what do you buy that brian uh, maybe, I mean, we'll, we'll just kind of see how the, the hire goes. I mean, I, I don't buy it as that set in stone, but maybe like, you know, if the, a year or two from now, if the coach isn't working out perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Like kind of like Riley came back and won the yes. title after being in the front office, uh, with Van Gundy before Spolstra. So something like that perhaps, but you know, I wonder if, uh, you know, he was never going to take the Indiana job in the middle of the NBA season. The Celtics had paid him too too much for him to just take off in the middle of the year. And that was before Jalen Brown got hurt when they, you know, still had a potential life in the playoffs. And they were still going to have gotten the fourth seed at that point uh, when Brown got hurt. So, um, anyhow, I don't think him – I don't think he'll be in the front office very long um, – yeah, we'll see. I, I think he'll be back coaching, whether it be in the NBA or college. I don't know. He he must be he he he's not. I don't know that he's interested in getting back in college. It'll be interesting if like, you know, if it doesn't work out with Hubert Davis or if Coach K retires. But Coach K is going to be picking one of his successor. One of his he's going to pick his one of his players. 
one of his guys. One of his guys. And there was speculation that maybe Brad Stevens would be interested in the North Carolina job when Roy Williams kind of late in the college coaching calendar and the carousel calendar said no thanks. But that appeared to also be an inside job, if you will, where he wanted Hubert Davis to be elevated as a, as a priority on that. Um, again, I don't think Brad Stevens has coached his last game in the NBA college or whatever, just because he's stepping aside to go to the front office for a little while. There are other guys have done Larry bird did this where he was in the front office coached, went back to the front office. You mentioned Pat Riley. There've been others, uh, that have done this too. Uh, Don Nelson did it very famously a couple of different times with a couple of different teams. So, Let's just see how long the whole front office thing were to last. And clearly the Celtics need a reboot Um, uh, off of the games again on Tuesday night. When we're putting this podcast together, we saw the Suns blow away the Lakers 115 to 85 Chris Paul uh, back in there again. Devin Booker had 30 in that game and the Suns now lead three games to two. So we know for three dog Thursday purposes, they're in LA with the Suns having a chance to eliminate the defending champions. So we'll talk more about that in just a second. And also a thrilling double overtime game deep into the night, uh, Tuesday night into Wednesday morning saw the Nuggets win 147-140 over Damian Lillard and Portland Lillard set, Lillard, Lillard set a franchise record for Portland, 55 points in a playoff game, an NBA playoff record, 12 made threes, and they don't win the game. Denver still finds a way uh, with Jokic with 38 points, 11 rebounds, nine assists. They win and lead three games to two and, again, can close it out Thursday night in Portland on Three Dog Thursday as we're releasing this podcast. Just give me quick thoughts on those two Western series. We know the results now from game five. Brian, what are your thoughts on both of those? One of the best performances I've ever seen out of Damian Lillard. Just two high-degree difficulty buzzer beaters to force uh, both overtimes. Or I'm sorry, they weren't buzzer beaters. There was a second. Or actually, I think the double overtime, there might have been five or six seconds left. But, um, you know, he trusted his guy, C.J. McCollum. I love C.J. McCollum. Talking about in the uh, – was it the – Second, or second overtime. Second late. overtime. Right. You know, he trusts this right. guy, C.J. McCollum, and I love C.J. McCollum. And you, you can't just, just, just crush a player off one play. But man, you cannot freaking step out of bounds with nine <laughs> seconds left. What the hell is going on there? You, I can, you can't step out of bounds ever on the sideline. And, and Gotta you know do where that you are. At, at crunch time, that is just horrible. I feel bad for. Uh, for Lillard, but in terms of how we look at the next uh, game in both of those series on Thursday night, we don't know about Anthony Davis. Um, we, you know, where are you? Middle, and like, I haven't even looked at the box score to see everybody's like, uh, you know, how tired everybody's legs are going to be, but it works both ways. Well, let's see. Norman Powell played 50 minutes. Lillard played 51 and change. McCullum played 50. You look at Denver. Uh, Jokic played 46 and change Porter 47. Okay. So, um, uh, Malone scattered out the minutes a lot better for Denver. So Portland may have a little more dead legs tomorrow, but, um, I'm not worried about Damian. Lillard. And they're, they're at home with a chance to yeah. force game seven and with the way Lillard is playing. Um, and look, there's people banging on. Why did he give the ball up late in that second overtime? I mean, sometimes the stars for all time. I mean, some of the most famous moments in the NBA finals was Michael Jordan giving the ball up to John Paxson or giving the ball up to Steve Kerr to hit a last second shot. Michael took almost all the rest of them, it seems like. Uh, but he did occasionally give it up. And there have been others. LeBron has given it up and gotten criticism for doing that. There have been others that have done that, too. Uh, back to the Lakers. The Suns come back home. They are favored. I I know and I realize I get it. You're never back in the Lakers. You've said that playfully. It's fun. You're never back in the Lakers to win a series. But the defending champs could be gone here uh, in this if they don't find a way on their home floor here to force game seven on Thursday night against the Suns. Yeah, they they could be. Um, If Davis is healthy, I would think they'll probably – uh, force the game seven, but uh, man, I, I I think you know if there was one play that was just a telling sign, it was LeBron loafing back on defense last night, and I know it was already kind of a blowout, um, and you know, you know he's got a lot of 
lot of uh, miles on those tires, if you will, but you don't ever not love back on – you never love back on defense like that, especially in the playoffs. And I just think it was a telling sign, A, that he's fatigued, and, and he, A, or B, that he's, his head's just not right. And, well, that uh, way, in fairness, you know this, they were down 30 at Phoenix sure. at halftime, and I think they had just decided – we got to try to get this in game six. We're not winning tonight. We got to, we got to let the clock run and play out the string, but we're not winning tonight. And save your legs. I get that, but it's just kind of a pride thing as a basketball player. You don't disrespect your teammates by not by loafing back on defense. Speaking of disrespect, Charles Barkley was very pointed and he's got a powerful pulpit on the inside the NBA. And he, he called out Anthony Davis and started jokingly referring to him as street clothes Davis, Anthony street clothes Davis. Cause he always sees him in street clothes. That criticism is making the rounds on social media and elsewhere. How much more pressure does that put on Davis? I know they won the championship in the bubble a year ago, but how much more pressure does that put on him to get out there and perform well? Because a, if he doesn't get out there at all and they lose, that looks even worse but if he gets out there, he can't perform well, whatever, that still looks bad, and they lose again uh, here to Phoenix anyway in this series. A- Anthony Davis is facing the criticism right now, Brian. And what's his contract pay him? <laughs> what's his contract pay him? A like lot 15, more than you and I make. Per? Yeah, a lot more than you and I make doing the podcast, Three Dog Thursday, or on Vegas Insider or MajorWager.com. We know that. That's for sure. Tens of millions, yes. Get your ass on the court tomorrow night, period. End of story. Or at least give it a go. I mean, if you're not right, you're not right. But, I mean, you can pay way too much. It's the playoffs. Get your ass on the court, man. Give me a break. The the old adage of rest in the offseason. Yeah, because if you lose one more, it is the offseason on this one. So, again, we know about the Thursday night uh, action. Before we get out of here in this segment, again, the potential exists where we could see three of these series end. Uh, I'll get a quick comment from you before we do this more on our roundtable in a few minutes. Uh, the Hawks get the two games at home. Julius Randle in witness protection figuratively right now with his offensive game. What's going on? And I know the audience already knows the result. Can he get it back together? Can we see a game six here? Is Randall going to get it back together? Make a prediction. Again, the audience already knows as we release the podcast what happened between Knicks and Hawks on Wednesday night. You and I don't know that result, Brian Edwards, but what do you think? Well, I give the Knicks a chance because the MSG crowd will be electric and that will give them energy. And, you know, the Hawks as a whole, you know, are, are inexperienced in the playoffs. But I mean, Julius Randle goes into game five on Wednesday night, having shot 20 of 73 in four games for a 27.4 field goal percentage. He's missed 53 shots and committed 15 turnovers. That's absolutely Mm. abysmal. And I just think their confidence is shot. And it's not just Randall. It's R.J. Barrett's played terrible. Is Randall trying too hard? I mean, I've seen him force some shots. I've seen some unforced turnovers. Is he feeling the weight of New York and the fans? And he's trying too hard and the pressure? And he's in a contract year now. He's had a great regular season, obviously a career year. But, um, yeah, like even just to start off game four, he forced like a 28-footer with hit backboard first. It was like, whoa, dude, what are you doing, man? He's just all out of sorts. And um, I think the series is a wrap, man. I think the Hawks take care of them Wednesday night. If not, they definitely take care of them back at home. And if that number's anything, seven or fewer, hammer the Hawks because they are 21-2 and two straight up, 19-4 and four against the spread. Their last 23 home games, and they've either won – 12 or 13 in a row at wow. home. And I think it's important for Atlanta to wrap it up tonight, assuming Philly wraps it up as well against Washington, because while Embiid is gimpy and you can potentially play them with him, not at hundred percent or with him in street clothes at Philly in games one and or two, you want that to happen ASAP. So very important for the Hawks tonight as it applies to the next series. Great points on all of this. Brian, we love your stuff. Stand by. Uh, Again, uh, you follow him at Vegas B. Edwards. Also, as well, on MajorWager.com, his picks on Vegas Insider available. He keeps you up to date, though, on his Twitter feed through MajorWager.com on all the injury information, who's playing or not, through all of the social media. So stand by 
Uh, Brian, we'll have more from you later on in the podcast. And we got much more in the middle segment. We're going to talk a little French Open. We're going to talk more about the NBA uh, here in the middle. Matt Zimmick and Deshaun Tate are going to be hanging with me as the podcast continues along. But first, we're brought to you by our friends at WinBet, bringing you the action of real sports betting with the Win Las Vegas experience. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, sports, and games. Generous promos, odds, and parlays are happening right now at WinBet. Get started today. You'll receive a special offer for up to $500 risk-free on a sports bet. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at winbet.com. And download the app today. Again, that's wynnbet.com. Hey, do you ever feel like you're always on? And what do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? Every day it seems to be go, go, go. And it's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Well, guess what? You can reach for a Coors Light because it is made to chill. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button and do so with Coors Light. Reminder that Coors Light is cold, lagered, cold filtered, cold packaged. It's literally made to chill and it's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to un. Wine. Once again, Coors Light, the official beer, by the way, of the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs is Coors Light. And when you are thinking that it is time to cool off, to be refreshed, Memorial Day weekend or throughout the summer, when you reach for a Coors Light, you know it's made to chill. So again, with whatever you're doing, however fast it's going, however hot it is, remember our friends at Coors Light. Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. We do come back in, and I love the insight and the conversation on Three Dog Thursday with my next two guests as they talk many different things, not the least of which we all, all three of us, have great love for college basketball. And Matt Zimmick and Deshaun Tate helped me countless times with the College Basketball Coast to Coast a podcast and show that was rolling all the way through the college basketball season and the Final Four, uh, et cetera. They're both back with me now on Three Dog Thursday to cover several different subjects. Yes, hoop-related, also a little tennis, a little coaching carousel, et cetera. So let's welcome them both back in. First of all, Matt Zimmick, love his insight on all things, including we're going to talk a little tennis in a moment. The Tennis with an Accent podcast, which we love, among many other endeavors. Brother Zimmick, good to have you back aboard on Three Dog Thursday to talk many subjects, including tennis. Slow news day, right, TJ? Yeah, there's a shame that there's nothing going on this week or on Wednesday. We'll get to it, including uh, Coach K is the latest news that we have. To that end, Mr. Tate's Take, the Basketball Hoops podcast, is Deshaun Tate based out of Atlanta. He is hanging with me here on Three Dog Thursday as well to talk all things hoops, all things Hawks, all things coaching carousel. How you been? Good to have you back aboard. Busy. Uh, since I woke up, man, it's been busy. News, <laughs> like, like Matt was saying, just things come in from a little bit of everywhere. So uh, it's been good. I guess busy is good. So uh, I'm prepared to be up pretty late night tonight and over the course of the next couple. Yeah, no doubt, especially with the NBA playoffs going on and Deshaun is close to it figuratively and literally. He's in Atlanta where the Hawks are battling the New York Knicks. Again, as we talked in the last segment with Brian Edwards, we pull the curtain back on Three Dog Thursday as the podcast releases on Thursday. Matt and Deshaun and I, we don't know the results of Wednesday night. The Hawks may very well have eliminated the New York Knicks where Deshaun is in Atlanta. They're playing the game at Madison Square Garden. Then again, they may be coming uh, to the ATL for a game six Friday. We don't know that result at the time that we're knocking out this interview, this three-way conversation. You may know that answer. You probably do know that answer as Thursday wears on. And certainly by Friday, if you're listening uh, on three dog Thursday and the weekend show, you know what the latest is, but Deshaun is all over it. He'll have some insight on that in a few moments. We do know this, the French open in tennis is ongoing. And you're saying, TJ, why are you talking about tennis? Well, first of all, I don't roll the red carpet out lightly for Matt Zimmick on here if we're not talking about something significant in major tennis, Grand Slam tennis, and it relates to the bigger picture of athletes, the mental health discussion going on, and also the media. 
So Matt, we go to you first here with Naomi Osaka, who is the, uh, the Grand Slam champion from the United States, who has decided now to withdraw from the French Open, the tennis Grand Slam going on, citing as, as part of this, to paraphrase, mental health, concern about being uh, getting anxiety from questions and negativity, et cetera. All right, so most of the people that are listening to us know something about this. Give Fill in the details. Give us a little more because it is a big deal that she is out of this tournament, Matt. So go ahead. Yeah, so the really the controversy really erupted, not so much when she said she was going to skip a press conference last week before the tournament began. It, the controversy really began, began when she did, in fact, skip her press conference after her first match on uh, Sunday in Paris. And then immediately the four grand slams, you know, the, the, the leaders of the four different major tournaments, they all signed that letter saying that we might default you. I mean, in other words, disqualify you from the tournament. If you continue to skip press conferences, that's really this at the center of this TJ, the, if you look at the, the, the grand slams, I, I'm trying not to go too deep into the weeds, but there needs to be a little bit of an explanation here. Sure, the sure. ITF international tennis federation is linked to the four grand slams, the WTA and ATP tours, they run their normal turn tournaments over the course of the whole year, but the four majors, they are under the ITF, the international tennis federation. So the ITF has its code of conduct. This pertains to the Grand Slams, the four majors, and in the Code of Conduct, the penalty uh, section, there's, a, there's an Article 3, Section T, and the four Grand Slams cited this as saying, we can default you. But if you read through that Section T in Article 3, it does not say if you miss three or whatever number. It does not spell out a number of missed press conferences that leads to default. It's it's very vague. It's it's basically we can consult, we can confer, and we can default you. So that was a very heavy-handed move. It was a show of force. The rules did not explicitly state that if Osaka missed one or two or three more press conferences, she would be defaulted. So that was a strong-arm tactic. All right. So they could have massaged the situation. They could have finessed it. One thing they could have done, they simply could have waited for the tournament to end. Then you sit down between the French Open and Wimbledon, you know, when everything's quiet and with, you know, less scrutiny, less focus, you just quietly do it behind the scenes. So this was a, this was a panic move by the Grand Slams. They acted so quickly within like two or three hours because they do not want players to skip press conferences. Now, this leads there you us go. To if I can interject, the thing sure. I thought of when you were saying that is what they were trying to head off is kind of like with kids or whatever. If she can do it, I can do it. If he can do it, I can do it. And I believe what they were trying to head off is if we allow her to not have to be interviewed and to not have to face questions and criticism, we can't stop anybody else who says the same thing. And now nobody has to talk and it damages things further. Isn't that a fair point on why they were so heavy handed with what they did with her real quick? Well, I mean, in terms of their goal, yes, but in terms of how you politically achieve that in a way which minimizes the focus off court, you know, this is one of the four major tournaments you want, if you want, if you as a leader of the Grand Slams and as a leader of the sport, if you want the sport to grow and improve, you want the focus to be on the tennis court. And we can say perhaps that Osaka created the distraction, but the Grand Slams poured gasoline on the fire. The other really key point to mention, TJ, is that we say, and it's reasonable that, you know, meeting the media is part of your job as an athlete. On a broader level, sure, that's true. But the key difference, this is a solo athlete sport. Players don't make a salary. It's performance-based earnings. You don't know what your monthly income is going to be. You don't know what your yearly income is going to be. And I know Asaka has over $50 million. She's won so many major titles. So for her, it's not really a big financial hit. But if we apply this to all tennis players generally, and if we try to be fair to all players and have uniform standards, you know, if you're making, if you're ranked number 200 in the world, you're not getting by. You're, you're not making enough to have a comfortable existence given all the travel you have to do, given that you have to pay for a coach, you have to pay for a physiotherapist, et cetera, et cetera. You're not in a good financial situation if you're a lower ranked player. 
And so when we say it's part of your job to meet the media, you don't have reliable, steady income. I mean, for most tennis players, top 50, they're comfortable, but everybody else, you're not comfortable. So it raises the point. If, if we're going to say it's part of your job to a tennis player or another solo practitioner, let's just give you like some meal money, not, not huge money, but like <laughs> get a hundred bucks for each press conference you attend. Then we can say it's really part of your job. In a, in Give a cards at Applebee's. Very different Give dynamic. cards at Chili's. Give cards to whatever, whatever you need. Uh, yeah, need something. Give, something. Give carrots. Give carrots instead of just wielding a stick. You know, and, and like it's kind of like in the pandemic. We you know if that Ohio lottery. Give people incentives to do things instead of just threatening punishment. It's a better way of attracting people, convincing people to do the right thing. So just give you give people a hundred bucks. For attending press conferences, I think you solve the issue there, or at least you, you'd certainly take a lot of the threatening vibe out of the room. All right, we're going to have more on this in the in the roundtable discussion. That's the voice of Matt Zimmick. Uh, you follow him on social media at Matt, Z-E-M-E-K, at Matt Zimmick. Again, well-versed on everything. Love his insight on all sports, but specifically tennis and the Tennis Accent podcast. Let me include Deshaun Tate in our kind of roundtable discussion here on this uh, Mr. Tate's take, let's bring it to the NBA. If the star players, the LeBrons, the Kevin Durants, the Steph Curry's all the way down the list to Damian Lillard playing in Portland, Trey Young in your market in Atlanta, if they were to go on the Marshawn Lynch is like the Seattle Seahawks running back from the Super Bowl. I'm just here. So I don't get fined. That whole thing uh, would not want to talk to the media. If they all collectively began to pick and choose, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to talk. We're bringing it to the broader, to the broader sense, but it's a big problem for the NBA if that is the case too. Correct, and other sports, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that you know one of the things is is you have to have that label or that title of being one of those that status of a star. I mean, you're not going to be the one of the you know last guys off the bench or six men and making any of those kind of demands and commands. I would imagine that you know I, I can imagine that that would be something that would fly. Uh, but it's not a secret. Uh, in some cases, according to some of the reports and things that I've heard recently over the course of the past few weeks, um, is that, you know, perfect example, Julio Jones, not really speaking very much and often to a lot of the media here within the city of Atlanta, let alone some of the other places. Um, did he know that he was on the telephone when he was given some of uh, having some of that conversation with the guys from FS1 and so forth. And, uh, you know, so that, that that's just an, an, an example. I would imagine that this is something that would not be a good look for the NBA or probably not for anybody. I mean, you start talking about PR, but uh, a lot of these guys have that option uh, as to who they can and cannot talk to. Now, I'm not really sure where a lot of this lies in terms of what's in their contract, who they must talk to and who they actually have options to talk to. But just think about it. I mean, if you're a guy, for example, we're talking about NBA, we're talking about Atlanta. Let's stick right here with Trey Young. You want to make him as happy as you possibly can trying to keep him in this city if he says that he doesn't want to go talk to joe blow or whomever it is uh then to make him happy and hopefully that he stays uh then you know you might want to grant him that and give him that option of talking to whomever he wants to whenever he wants to uh whether that makes it right wrong or anything in between or indifferent uh it's it, it, whether it's fair or not life isn't fair and that's just the way that it is you have to have that status first before you can get some of those superstar calls and it's a good point that matt makes in the nba in the nfl in major league baseball in the national hockey league they're all part of teams they have a union they've collectively bargained they understand the media is part of this your responsibility is part of of talking to the media the writers the broadcasters the tv networks in the case of tennis, in the case of golf, it's an individual sport. They're independent contractors. I understand Matt's point. It's a little more tricky with that. A couple of more things that I promise we're going to move on to a couple of other basketball-related subjects and bring it back to that with Matt Zimmick and Deshaun Tate. Tate's take is like frothing because he wants to talk Hawks. He wants to talk Coach K. He's like shadow boxing in the corner because I'm a big boxing guy. He's shadow boxing. He's ready. On the Naomi Osaka thing, I think it is very valid, the concerns about mental health, anxiety with the media, because she specifically, Matt, and help me fill in the blanks here, she was part of the U.S. Open that ended controversially, women's tennis, September 2018, 
where Serena Williams, arguably the most famous ladies tennis player maybe ever, certainly of the last 25 or 30 years, Serena got disqualified and was upset. And the crowd was booing in New York, sellout crowd going crazy and booing. And Naomi Osaka stood there and almost it was like they were blaming the fact that she was now the winner transferring it in the transference sense we're booing because we don't want Serena to look like to, to lose like this is it and that's a that's a valid part of what her concerns are over anxiety and criticism I don't think that can be underplayed here Matt real quick well you know the larger point is simply that if you're a athlete in your early 20s coming into fame and wealth and global uh, notoriety, you know, that that's, that's a hard thing to figure out. And uh, we need, we need to give people time and space to learn how to do these things. And, you know, Osaka, Osaka's management team, you know, she has a management team and they obviously didn't get it just right with the first statement last week, did a lot better job with the statement that she released on Monday when she announced her withdrawal but like if a young athlete doesn't play her, make her chess moves exactly right, that's not a character flaw. You know, people are saying she's selfish. She's, she's manipulative. No, she's just trying to figure out how to deal with her own anxiety and, and perhaps depression in a, in a, with all this wealth, all this fame. I mean, like, you know, do, do, would we handle this easily? I don't think sure. so. But I mean, even then, mistakes are part of the process and mistakes are very different from crimes and and the 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 ferocity of the outrage directed at osaka on tennis twitter i've seen it it's come into my mentions and in my dms you'd think that she violated the geneva convention or something all she did was skip a press (laughs) conference and we can be concerned about it with uh, so far as it goes within this own sphere of activity but she did not commit a crime. Let's just keep this all in perspective. And, and allow the big her perspective. to make some mistakes, allow her to grow as a human being in a very difficult situation that none of us would automatically know how to handle. No, and let's keep a couple of other things in perspective because I read about this too, and I promise we're moving along. Uh, she made $50 million, five zero, very similar to what Zimic and, and Tate's take make. She made $50 million off the court last year, according to what I read in the New York Times. So she is very well off financially, more well off than 98% of the ladies that play on the ladies tennis tour and try to make a living doing whatever they can. As Matt mentioned, the top 50s in a different category, but that's the stratosphere of how much money you make. And in fairness, the French Open organizers tried to come to her privately to talk to her on how can we accommodate this? And she walled them off with her people and would not meet with them and said, my PR person, my agent or whoever's going to deal with you. I'm not, I'm not. And so you lose some of the moral high ground that you didn't work with them. Right, Matt, as an independent contractor, they were trying to work with you because I understand the tournament's concern, the, the Grand Slam's concern. These are the most watched tournaments. They are, they are watched by millions of people worldwide, more so than the regular tour events. And if all of the players suddenly decided we're not going to talk, it takes away from it. So I understand where the tournament was coming from. She could have handled that a lot better by at least meeting with them and trying to come to some kind of resolution. Yes, I see you nodding. Definitely agree. And I think, again, her management team has not given her good, consistently sound advice. I think we'd all agree on that. I would simply come back to the point that you can address this in two weeks when the tournament's over. No one's going to die. No catastrophe is going to emerge. If you, if you don't resolve this in 24 hours, just, you know, the, the tournament's a two-week tournament. You can address it afterwards before Wimbledon. That would be the obvious move. All right. And what happens at Wimbledon, which is the next prestigious tennis tournament coming later this summer, coming uh, in late June, later this month, we'll find out uh, with that. All right. Let's bring it back to Tate's take and Tate's take. Hoops is where you find Deshaun Tate on Twitter. Tate's Take is the podcast where basketball lives. This man uh, not only has the podcast, but he's going live after the NBA playoff games at uh, after the buzzer or at the buzzer or both uh, on social media, on Facebook, and going live, giving insight and analysis. All right, let's get right to it. We don't know the result of Wednesday night. All right, I know you believe the Hawks are going to win this series. It may have to be in a sixth game coming Friday night back in Atlanta. Give me some give me some vibe around Atlanta. Has Atlanta begun to embrace this a little bit that the Hawks could really make a run here in these NBA playoffs? Deshaun, some quick insight. 
First, let me say this, TJ. I can't speak for Matt Zimmick. $50 million. Me, that's more like uh, minus $49,999,999.99. But outside of that, uh, no, I I know that it's a game that the uh, Hawks fans and Hawks Nation is highly anticipating. I can only imagine the uh, atmosphere, the environment at Madison Square Garden, uh, and uh, just seeing the way that that's going to look like. I mean, they're going to be clapping in the faces. The head coach of, or interim coach right now, of the Atlanta Hawks, and Nate McMillan has already mentioned that he uh, is aware and has made the team aware. They have a clear understanding that this is going to be a game that is going to be the toughest one yet of the series to try and close them out on the road, hostile environment, and being prepared that the Knicks are going to go after it, try and play a little bit of bully ball. With the Atlanta Hawks, something that they cannot afford to do is to go into Madison Square Garden, end up losing that game, assuming that they will go back to Atlanta, and that's automatically going to be a win by counting the chickens before they hatch. This is not necessarily a market in which uh, that they're known for closing out, just as Tom Brady and Clayton Kershaw just a year ago. Uh, So in the end, they have to go ahead and take care of business if they want to impress Deshaun Tate. Last thing you want is to go back to Madison Square Garden for a game seven and all the momentum is going in the Big Apple. All right. So, again, that's a lot of the talk on the NBA and the the audience, again, may know what happened in game five. Was it close or not? Did Atlanta close them out or not? As we release Three Dog Thursday, we don't know that answer. Is it game six where Mr. Tate's Tate will be lurking uh, around this matchup? All right. I got one more thing to cover. Uh, Danny Ainge uh, and the Celtics are eliminated. Danny Ainge stepping aside. Brad Stevens going to the front office. That was big enough news in Boston in the NBA. I want a reaction from both of you guys on that. But also the Wednesday afternoon news that Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, the legendary Hall of Fame winningest Division I college basketball men's coach uh, ever, is going to retire after this upcoming season. And what happens for a replacement? All right, Matt. Give me thoughts real quick on both, on Ainge and the Celtics. Brad Stevens now going to be in the front office and not be the coach, and Coach K also departing real quick. I think these are pandemic effects. I think that you can see that Coach K lost a little bit of his appetite for coaching during the pandemic season. Uh, You combine that with the transfer portal, I just think a little bit of the appetite is lost. And even if it's just losing 1% or 2% of your appetite, that makes all the difference at an elite level. And as for Brad Stevens, I think, you know, he similarly felt worn down. I mean, the Woj tweeted out that he was reportedly worn down by the bubble experience. So that tells me that he just needs a break from coaching the grind and that he'll, he'll eventually go back into coaching. Now, of course, Duke made complete sense as his return place for coaching. And now that doesn't seem to be the case. So that's another plot twist, really unexpected turn of events in that regard. Deshaun, I know you uh, you podcast about all of this. Your insight on all uh, – what's your insight here on both these situations, Boston and Duke? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a little bit surprised uh, from uh, the Brad Stevens uh, situation, Danny Ainge stepping down. Uh, you know, th- this is one of those things where I, I knew there had to be some sort of a reason behind why Brad Stevens like, oh, get paid all this money from Indiana? Yeah, I think I'll turn that down. That's a ton of money he turned down. I knew it had to be for some sort of a reason. He was already on the hot seat and the seat already getting warmer as it is. Uh, Not really sure what's going to happen with that going forward, especially with the head coaching vacancy. I would imagine that, uh, you know, John Shire being the name that's the front runner considerably, maybe to take over for Coach K after this year. Uh, I thought maybe me personally, I would be looking a little bit more further in Mike Bray's direction. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I'm kind of curious to know what kind of effect the kind the, the kind of year that Duke had, which is very uncharacteristic from last year, had on the disc and Roy Williams as well. Yeah, and Roy Williams just stepped aside, as you made mention of, uh, also on all of this. So he's gone from North Carolina again. Coach K will coach this upcoming season. Will they name the the coach in waiting, or will they wait? Tommy Amaker is a name that might come back into play who's coached other places and, and had success. A lot of sentiment maybe for Johnny Dawkins, who's coached other places and might come in. Don't know what they're going to do at Duke. I do know this. I love me, both of these guys. So Matt Zimmick covering tennis. Tennis with an accent is the podcast. 
Uh, he and Saka Bali are on that podcast talking tennis, all things, including the Naomi Osaka controversy and the actual French Open on the court. Anything with tennis, go to Matt for that. We love him for all the other insight as well. Follow him at Matt Zemek, Z-E-M-E-K. Uh, Matt would love you to know as a Seattle native that this is the anniversary week to Sean Tate and for the audience of the Seattle Supersonics winning the NBA championship 42 years ago, June of 1979. Dennis Johnson, Jack Sigma, Freddie Downtown Brown, and some others that I'm probably leaving out. You're nodding along, Zimic. You love that, that I know that, that that was 42 years ago. How crazy is that? 42 years ago, NBA Finals game started at 11.30 p.m. Eastern time. How about that one? <laughs> <laughs> yes, with the Seattle Sonics involved with the then Washington Bullets. Tate's Take Hoops is where you find Deshaun Tate. Tate's Take is the podcast, and you're on after the NBA playoff games as well. Plug real quick. You're on after the playoff games, breaking it down on social media as well, right? I am at Tate's Take Hoops. We call it where basketball lives. 15 minutes after the final game from the playoffs conclude of that night. We'll recap all of them. Try to keep it within 20 or 30 minutes. TJ likes to slap my wrist on that one. But as, <laughs> as you know, it's really hard for me to be quiet. So, uh, but no, go and check it out. Subscribe anywhere you find your favorite podcast, YouTube, the whole nine. Uh, we like to say uh, to, to, to your friends, to your enemies, to your mama, to your grandmama, and to your baby mama, where they can find the best, the most entertaining, the most informational, and, of course, the most educational basketball content on the planet in the form of a podcast. Yeah, Deshaun could have gone on for 40 minutes on Damian Lillard and the end of the uh, the Portland-Denver game on Tuesday night. And, and the and poor now they will officiating. Play. And the, and and the, the poor, poor officiating. officiating. I got you on all of it. And so, again, all through the playoffs, the Hawks, the Knicks, Hawks look like they're moving on. Deshaun is all over it. Boys, thank you. I appreciate you hanging with me on Three Dog Thursday. Matt Zimmick and Deshaun Tate, great stuff. Thank you, TJ. And we are back in one more time. Senior handicapper, Vegas insider, MajorWager.com. Love the insight of Brian Edwards. Again, we were talking earlier with you about the Thursday night action uh, because we already knew that in advance here of Three Dog Thursday and the games are going to be played on Thursday. Again, we don't know the Wednesday results of what happened and how many game sixes do we have. We do know, Brian, that it's a guarantee whoever won the Wednesday night, late night Clippers-Mavericks game has a chance to close it out in game six on Friday night. And so far to this point, for what you and I know, the road team has won the first four games. Dallas got the first two in L.A. L.A. then got the next two in Dallas. And I know uh, that Luka Doncic has the injured neck, has the neck muscle a problem that was bothering him at the end of game three and in game four. So again, that series has a game six on Friday. And we're wondering, do the Hawks and the Knicks have a game six? Did the Jazz finish off the Grizzlies? Is the other series uh, done as well from Wednesday night between Philadelphia and Washington or not? You know those answers. If you're hearing us on the podcast, Brian and I uh, do not right here. Uh, but it'll be interesting on, on Friday to have a couple of at least one game. And we probably will have a couple of games. Uh, to take a look at on on Friday night. Yeah, um, Luca uh, Woj had a tweet uh, either yesterday or the day before that his next train <clears throat> was already improved the next day. So that is a little bit of optimism for Dallas. Um, you know, if he, we, but we just don't know as gamblers. How, is he eighty five percent tonight? Is he ninety five percent? I mean, if if right. Luca's one hundred percent, I like the Mavs plus seven or seven and a half. But I don't know that, so I, it's it's tough, man. But it'll make Cap and Friday easier once we get the answers to that tonight. Yes, and then again, uh, you know, he could play and play lights out. Uh, and then Dallas would obviously have the opportunity to come back home at that point and close it out where the road team would have won all five games to begin that series. If the, uh, if the Mavericks can find a way um, on that one. And again, you make mention of this, repeat this. We know that the Brooklyn Milwaukee series is starting on Saturday and you've already looked into that. Repeat that again. We know that that's definitely happening on Saturday and you're handicapping that a little bit right now. Yeah. Brooklyn's minus four and a half in Milwaukee, or I'm sorry, the total is two thirty nine and a half. Um, and they played three times in the regular season. Now I haven't gone back and refreshed my memory on those box scores, but, um, the first one was, um, at Brooklyn and Brooklyn won by two. That was early in the year. So that was obviously pre hardened. And I'm pretty sure they played back-to-back -back games. I don't know if it was back-to-back -back nights, but it was either in two days or three days. And Milwaukee won a pair of close games. I'm pretty sure 
Harden was out with the hamstring at that point. I'm pretty sure Durant and Kyrie did play, though. So, for whatever it's worth, they played three pretty close games with the home teams winning all three, Milwaukee winning twice at home. Okay, and one th- one other thing. Feel free to join in here. I haven't brought this up as of yet on Three Dog Thursday here, but we've, we've had – excessive idiocy i'll put that out there with fans throwing things at players uh a fan ran on the floor the other night uh in the washington philadelphia series the fan in in boston has been charged uh with assault for throwing the water bottle at Kyrie. i mean again Kyrie irving is his own worst enemy doing idiotic things why walk to the middle of the court with fans watching you and stomp on the celtic head logo I'm not saying that it warrants somebody retaliating, but you set all of that into motion with how you're acting on that. Grow, grow up a little bit uh, on that. But the the fan stuff, some of it, I believe, too, my take, I want yours. Some of it is copycat stuff. I, I saw somebody else do it, so now I'm going to do it the next night. And we literally saw it like three nights in a row. Uh, you cannot convince me otherwise that copycat isn't part of the motivation to do this stuff and get attention for yourself, even if you're going to get arrested. Ryan, what's your take? Well, they should probably do like the NFL and not put them on camera, and that'll deter their – I don't know. What, well, I guess it's out on the court, whereas in football, you know, they can just be out on the field away from the play or, or whatever, right. and it's easy to get the camera off, I guess. But uh, And they can revoke their tickets. They can revoke them if they're season ticket holders, and that's some of the steps that NBA teams are taking. Yeah, you know, I don't know if the guy in Washington was actually, like, trying to, like, go annoy a player or anything. He was just – running out there to be a jackass, but um, sure. anyhow. But it's still dangerous, uh, and I know you're not Oh, yeah, sure, sure. It's still look, dangerous because you don't know what those people are going to do when they get out there. Um, and, again, throwing things at somebody walking towards the tunnel. Um, I, if, I, 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 I never condoned it, but I still say that a great deterrent, one of the all-time deterrents, was Ron Artest going into the stands because when he did that, you hadn't seen you you did not see that at an NBA game for years after that because the yahoos the idiots the, the troublemakers they now realize oh crap there's a chance that guy could come up and slug me um, and at, at the same uh deal malice at the palace i forget <laughs> if jermaine o'neal slipped or so, jermaine o'neal threw a haymaker oh, at Lord, that yeah. short pudgy kid that came out on the court and started doing like the this. guy the guy that looked like turtle from entourage in the yes. pistons jersey and he decked him yes that one if jermaine o'neal had not a slipped and if he would have connected with that haymaker nobody would ever run on the court again and i think barkley said something the other night once one of these guys comes and gets in one of these players faces and takes like five or he didn't say I, i'll say that if it takes like six eye dots on television That'll, that'll deter it as well. Yep. All right. So, again, fan bad behavior has been part of this, unfortunately. Uh, you remember against, who also went in the stands back in the day? My I'm guy? Try, I'm trying to remember uh, Vernon Maxwell did it one year. I remember I remember that. He went all the way up like 10 rows and after beat somebody. somebody's ass. And, uh, yeah. And you Got can't. Got a 10-game suspension or maybe – yeah, Maybe longer. It was longer. And, and again, we're not condoning that the players should go and take matters into their own hands and, and assault the paying customers uh, per se. But what are we coming to that this is what we're talking about? And it's going on over and over and over again with throwing things at players and trying to agitate them. Give me a break. Um, all right. So there. speaking of fisticuffs, I, I know we want to share this on Three Dog Thursday before we get out of here. There is boxing this weekend. A plug again on Three Dog Thursday to find the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Bigfightweekend.com is our website. Marquise Johns and I hang out on that podcast, and he and I co-write the site, and Marquise does a great job as the senior writer. We've got Floyd Mayweather uh, coming out of retirement to face a YouTuber, the Hall of Fame caliber fighter, Floyd Mayweather, unbeaten in his career, hasn't fought in four years. He's fighting an exhibition against a YouTuber, a failed actor, as I keep saying, Logan Paul. Logan Paul has had one fight. Logan Paul's about 30 pounds bigger and about six inches taller than Floyd Mayweather. Ryan Edwards, I get the feeling this is a Sunday night pay-per-view, not a Saturday. This is a Sunday night pay-per-view. I get the feeling there are going to be a lot of casual sports fans who will at least check this out on Sunday night. I don't know that everybody's buying the pay-per-view, but some people will be interested in what's the result. Let me see a highlight what happened. Do you have any interest at all here with Mayweather having been a great smaller weight fighter? Logan Paul, again, is not a, it does not have any background really as a fighter, MMA, boxer, or whatever. Any interest here in that one for Sunday? 
I'm not even interested in a normal Floyd Mayweather fight. I mean, if you're a, a boxing diehard, you know, you can uh, enjoy the the sweet science and his great defense, but I've never enjoyed a Floyd Mayweather fight my entire life. Not one. <laughs> so uh, no is the answer. All right. Now, interesting. Especially the Pacquiao one. That one was the worst thing. Yeah, and that, and that one ended up being a dud where Floyd out, Fox team out, box team moved around and it was dull. Uh, now, the the Paul brothers, the other failed actor, Jake Paul, has a little bit more of a boxing resume. He is going to fight on pay-per-view against a UFC fighter, uh, an aged UFC fighter, a 39-year-old in Tyron Woodley. Um, okay, so this one's going to get some interest. The fight is not anytime soon. It's not until August. It's three months away from the time that we're putting this together on Three Dog Thursday. But you were giving me a little bit on Tyron Woodley, who had some success for three or four years at UFC as a welterweight, right? Yeah, he was the champion. Um, he, he is, you know, unlike Ben Askren, who's one of the worst strikers in MMA history, uh, Woodley is a powerful striker. He's got big-time hands. Now, I will say that he it was, you know, he didn't have his contract renewed by the UFC. He had lost four in a row. But the first two of those losses – were basically losses on the ground where he was taken down and just never really got back up. Uh, but he, he had three really just dud performances. But he he showed a little life his last fight. He rocked Vicente Luque, who's on a, a, a big-time winning streak in the UFC, and, and was doing well when the fight was standing, but eventually got, got rocked and then got submitted on the ground. But he did look pretty good in his last fight. Um, I will say he's not really – I wouldn't say he's punch drunk, um, but he just kind of got beaten on the ground and just didn't really look – He even when he was champ, he had a, like some acting stuff going on. He was making a rap album. He, he always had his yeah, – he was doing commentating. It just didn't seem like he was focused on fighting, and I don't know that he'll be focused on this so much. I think it is a big step up in competition uh, for Jake Paul uh, compared to Askren, obviously – but, um, you know, I'm not saying that Tyron Woodley's going to win. He is 39. Um, we'll see. And they're going to fight and at Woodley, 190. And, Wood, and Woodley's background is an amateur wrestler and wrestled at the University of Missouri. None of that is going to help him in a boxing match. Um, and, again, I, I fully understand that a lot of people look at this as total sideshow, circus. Again, I'm covering boxing on a boxing podcast, et cetera. Showtime premium cable in the United States has bought into this big time with both of the Pauls, and they gave a multi-fight deal to Jake Paul here for this. So they're trying to see if he can progress as a boxer. But, I mean, the first knockout, Brian, you know this, was against Nate Robinson, the former slam dunk champion, former basketball player, who was significantly smaller than Jake Paul in the fight. Jake Paul then fights Ben Askren, which, again, not only is Askren limited, apparently, as a boxer to begin with, it didn't look like he was in shape. Do you believe that Woodley will take this seriously and be in shape at 39 years of age, and this might actually be a test? Three months from now, that's what Showtime's hoping for because if it's a joke one-round fight, there's not a market for Jake Jake Paul fights anymore. No one will care. No one will buy it. Yeah, he'll, it, I think he'll be in shape. Now, they'll, they're going to fight at 190, he, uh, So which he walks around at, but he, he'd he been fighting in the UFC at 170, and he's only 5'9", so he's given up a height uh, advantage, and he's got a two-inch reach disadvantage. But Woodley is a very competent striker, Uh Askren is not a striker at all. Nate Robinson is a basketball and it was right. a, hell of a football player uh, in college and high school as well. And a great athlete, but Woodley is, is competent and Woodley can take, well, actually Askren can take a punch. He took a bunch of Robbie Lawler punches, but um, Woodley um, will be, it's a significant step up in class. This guy is competent on his feet and he will be way offer way more resistance than the other guys. And I wouldn't be shocked if Woodley uh, wins the fight, but I mean, I'm not looking to bet on this thing. And again, for Sunday night, the older brother is Logan Paul, and he is some six inches taller than Floyd Mayweather. He's some 30 pounds heavier than Floyd Mayweather. There is a lot of belief this will be a circus, a sideshow, more so than anything else, uh, with more of the WWF feel to it uh, well, to try to promote the other Paul brother. Yeah. Why, why are they calling it an exhibition, or why are they have um, why do they have uh, 
gambling odds on it. I mean, they're obviously going to have scorecards. So, and whatnot, so correct? that's the great, that's the great thing here. My understanding is they are calling it an exhibition. It's eight, three minute rounds, which is the legitimate distance that, that fights that boxing matches are held at uh, for that. And they are going to have official judges, apparently. And if they do, then that makes it a lot more legitimate than just saying exhibition. They're not going to have headgear on like an exhibition fight might have uh, here for this Mayweather-Paul fight that we're talking about on Saturday night. But they keep dubbing it an exhibition. So for whatever reasons, read into that what you will for the Showtime pay-per-view. And again, Mayweather has not fought in four years since he fought Colin McGregor in any kind of a substantial boxing match. And uh, Mayweather now in his 40s. Let's let's see what that looks like for Sunday. We do know this. Brian Edwards, while he has disdain for Floyd Mayweather and is not going to be paying attention to Sunday night, we'll do that on Big Fight Weekend, the podcast at bigfightweekend.com. So check us out there. You will be all over the NBA. One more time, plug away your social media and where else they can find your info for all these NBA games that will be going on not only Thursday night here as we release on Three Dog Thursday, but throughout the weekend, plug away on where we can find out all the info. Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at VegasBEdwards. Uh, you can find all my content on MajorWager.com. You can find all my NBA picks, which are on a 9-1 and one run at VegasInsider.com. Uh, dot com and you can find uh, the major wager uh, Twitter handle is at major wager uno. Beautiful on all that. Good luck with all your picks. Happy to still be hanging out with you here in June as we progress through the NBA and NHL playoffs. Brian, thank you. Good luck with your stuff. Thanks, brother. Have a good one. There we go. And my thanks also to Matt Simic and to Ta- uh, to Deshaun Tate, who were both with me uh, here on the podcast in the middle portion of the program, talking some tennis, talking some NBA playoffs. For now, we are done. Again, subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, subscribe to Three Dog Thursday. My thanks again to Sean Green, Ryan Kramer, everybody with the Sports Gambling Podcast, as well as they help promote us through sportsgamblingpodcast.com and their network feed of shows. Enjoy all the action. We're back next week. We'll have a clearer picture in hockey and the uh, NBA playoffs of what the latest is in both and the latest playoff series and the latest rounds. We're rocking on through the month of June on Three Dog Thursday. Bye.